The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything that you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads, ensure that you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. I've been so pumped to take a couple of friends with our road bikes to some of the trails nearby, and now I can bring the entire crew, my dog, and all of our gear with that third row. Learn more about the new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. You're tuned in to Heat Check with Trista Crick. On this episode of the Heat Check, we are now at the halfway point of the regular NBA season. Can you believe it? Time is going fast, folks. It is time for me, Professor Crick, to give out some grades. Some guys, some teams are getting the ruler, folks. Smack, smack. This episode, we're going to break down the Eastern Conference. We're going to grade every team from Atlanta down to the Washington Wizards. So let's get right to it, Nick. We don't have much time. Drop that generic-ass beat. All right, so we've reached halfway throughout the season. Actually, last Thursday, I could have done it, but I didn't feel like it. It was too much work. It's a lot. Like, you got to go into all these ratings and stats. I don't mean to make it sound like my job's like super complicated. It's not. I do this for the love of the game. So I wanted to do it. I wanted to do it right. And now it's just like college. It's like the midterm exams. And we're giving out mid-semester grades. Some teams, I think, will be very happy with their scores. Kids that came into the classroom, they had a backpack with no books in it, and you said to yourself, oh boy, this is going to be a doozy. And all of a sudden, they became one of the best students in the whole damn classroom. And then others will probably be very sad. But them's the breaks. I am just the instructor, and I call it like I see it. So let's start out East. Let's break it down. Next episode, we'll break down the West because, like I said, these stats are hard to come by. So let's start in the Atlantic Division. The Atlantic Division is a wagon, by the way. You look at it, I think it's the best division in the entire NBA. What uh, You may not think about it because who does? Who is in the Atlantic Division? Uh, it's the Nets. It's the Sixers. It's the Celtics. It's the Knicks. That's a good-ass Good-ass division. And listen, like most of these teams have had various degrees of dysfunction throughout this offseason and into the season itself. So, I mean, these teams were seen as toxic, full rebuild situations like the Brooklyn Nets. Four of these teams right now, though, four of these teams are top six in the East. So it's a wagon. That's unreal. So let's start with the Brooklyn Nets. I mean, that's the kid that came in with the backpack that was empty. And you were like, this kid's going to fail. Like, this kid's probably going to withdraw the class in the first month of the season. They looked like they were headed for a full teardown, didn't they? KD wanted out. Kyrie was a mess. He gets suspended. He wants a max deal. They say no in the offseason. 
There's just cascading thing after cascading thing. The whole Yahweh issue. Oh, my God. Joe Sy, they wanted to fire Sean Marks. Oh, yeah, by the way, they fired their coach in the middle of the season. Tried to hire Ime Udoka. That didn't work because the league shut that down. They brought in Jacques Vaughn, who was the interim head coach the last time they fired their coach. So it was a world-class distraction. You were like, okay, this is we had the ghost of Nick Claxton. What's he going to be like? What's TJ Warren going to be? Ben Simmons, is he going to be himself? He had been, in his own mind, just very broken. And so you're thinking to yourself, at this point, this team's staring at a full rebuild, especially when Kevin Durant wanted out. And you look up after they fired Steve Nash, and they're second in the East. You got to give the Brooklyn Nets an A+. You have to. They are the second best defensive team in the last 15 games. They went 18-2 and after they brought on Jacques Vaughn. Uh, KD, until his injury, became probably at the peak of his powers. Nick Claxton, by the way, who no one is talking about as a real defensive player of the year, he's like plus 1,400 right now, which is worth a little sprinkle if you want to put a little money on it for that award. He's got 12 double-doubles so far. He's dominating in six of the seven interior categories in the league. He leads the league in blocks. Ben Simmons has been a game-changer. And it's not just the defense either. They've been very good in terms of their bench. Edmund Sumner, T.J. Warren, my guy, Johnny Utah, Watanabe, Joe Harris coming back from injury, Patty Mills, Cam Thomas, Royce O'Neal, all of whom have stepped up now that Kevin Durant is out after, you know, for another month. Oh, yeah, by the way, Kyrie Irving is taking accountability for not playing well in fourth quarters, tweeting out, I, me, Kyrie Irving have to be better. When have we seen that? Hey, I got to be a better leader. Did someone take over this man's account? You can't get a higher grade than the Brooklyn Nets, boy. I swear I thought that was a shit show. And they have vastly overperformed expectations. This team could win it all. What? Boston Celtics, less excited about them. Why? They went to the finals. They went to the finals. Yes, they had their share of dysfunction as well. They fired Ime Udoka. Let's be real. It's a firing. He's never coming back to this team. They bring on a guy with his own set of scandals, a bunch of skeletons in his closet, a religious zealot that he is, who I'm not completely sold on. And the team was in need of a prayer, and they found one. Uh... They went, obviously, they had a bunch of key pieces that they still had two of the best wings in the league with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Uh, Rob Williams, though, missed 20, 29 games start of the season. And the fact that they're still number one in the East feels very impressive to me. They pick up Malcolm Brogdon, probably would have been a shoe into win six man of the year if Russell Westbrook didn't become whatever we're seeing. Uh, if he gets traded, Malcolm Brogdon will win six man of the year. But the only thing that I can't give them an A-plus or an A, solid A, they're an A-minus for me. They lost to the Magic twice. They got stomped by the Dubs. They got stomped by the Clippers. They lost to the Thunder, the OKC Thunder, who is largely considered to be one of the biggest egregious tankers in the league. They lost to them by almost 50 points. 50 of them. Half of 100. So... 
I don't really know what else to say other than the motivation of this team can sometimes be called into question. And that, my friends, is a coaching problem and something that even Joe Mazzula is making fun of, that he doesn't take timeouts and maybe he should and that the momentum shifts, et cetera, et cetera. Boston Celtics are going to be fine, but I can't give them an A-plus or an A-minus because largely the pieces are the same. Let's move on to the New York Knicks. New York Knicks got to give them B-minus. B-minus, which is pretty damn good, right? Pretty damn good for the New York Knicks. Halfway point specifically. Jalen Brunson has been a monster. He has worked out. He is averaging 32 points in the month of January. What? 50% from three-point range. Almost six rebounds, almost six assists per game. They've got one of the best road records in the NBA, 14-8. and eight. Do you know what the Golden State Warriors would do to be 14-8 and eight on the road? Julius Randle right now is playing out of his mind for the most part. And the young guys, they're developing into contributors as well, right? Like, yeah, we may not see Obi Toppin much, but he's been injured. R.J. Barrett on the other end hasn't been great despite his stats saying that he has been okay. He just hasn't really been there. He's gotten injured. I would imagine the one downside that the Knicks see is, wow, Donovan Mitchell really is him. We probably should have traded Quentin. Like, I can't believe that Quentin Grimes held this fucking trade up. Quentin Grimes. Do we see what Donovan Mitchell is doing? He has 71 points. If you would have said to Leon Rose, this man's going to score 71 in the garden, are you willing to trade Quentin Grimes and R.J. Barrett? I think that they regret that decision. Fucking around, extending R.J. Barrett, trying to play little games with our man Danny Ainge. You can't play games with Ainge. Uh, They've blown on the other side that's also bad. They've blown seven double-digit leads. And lost those games. Remember the game that Luca had like one of his best performances ever? They scored like they were down nine with 30 seconds or 19 seconds to go. And the Mavs won that game. Yeah, that was against the Knicks. (laughs) That was against them. When it comes down to crunch time, the offense goes stagnant. They miss a bunch of free throws. I think they were like 11 for 41 a couple of games ago. Certainly a fun team, definitely overperformed, but some flaws, some bad decisions where I feel like, man, would they be good with Donovan Mitchell. Moving forward in the Atlantic Division, Philadelphia 76ers, who to me, they are a B plus. They are very interesting. I think this is the same sort of team as they were last year where I don't know if they're good or not. I don't know. I'm not sure. They could go to the Eastern Conference Finals. They could flame out in the first round. All of that depends on the two key pieces, which is James Harden and Joel Embiid. Are they healthy? Are they in shape? Do they have a connection? Can they be stopped? How is the defense doing? Well, they brought on P.J. Tucker, uh, the guy who was considered would be one of the best point-of-attack defenders in the league. He has stunk. He has stunk so bad that people within the blogosphere of Philadelphia 76ers media are calling for him to be sitting his ass on the bench. So all that considered, for the Sixers to still be fourth in the league in defensive rating with P.J. Tucker largely being not very effective, 
is pretty good because of DeAnthony Melton. That DeAnthony Melton trade that they made with the Memphis Grizzlies is unreal. DeAnthony Melton is one of the top leaders in steals per game and deflections. If you look at Embiid and Harden, their connection has been elite. They've also had their fair share of injuries, though, so you can't give them an eight, right? Because all those things that we worry about have already reared their ugly head. Embiid has missed time. He's missed nine games. Harden has missed 14 games in a row. He's back. Uh, And somehow a player that they did not account to lose, Tyrese Maxey, missed 19 games. But all of that considered, the Sixers still managed to go 13-6 and without him. And they're healthy now. So with Maxey and Embiid and Harden, DeAnthony Melton all on the court, gelling and meshing, this team could be really, really dangerous. Tobias Harris, he doesn't even have to do much now that Tyrese Maxey is good. He's a very solid fourth option. Considering that his stats have declined and plummeted off of a cliff, it's okay because you don't need him to score a bucket when Embiid is out sitting on the bench. It's like, that's fine. Just spot up, shoot threes, catch and shoot, maybe do a little dribble drive, pass back to James, and let the offense flow. So this team could be dangerous, or like I said, they could be a first or second round exit. Toronto Raptors, what's stopping me from giving you an F? (sighs) Hope, good roster, good GM, good coach. They're a D minus. This is a team that you could say is one of the most disappointing teams in the NBA. I thought they would be like a top four, top five seed. When you have current players like C.J. McCollum, commenting about the Toronto Raptors, generally speaking, in like nobody speaks about them, right? But when you have them talking about the Toronto Raptors on an ESPN hit with Izzy Gutierrez and speaking of them in negative terms, not in the fact that they're the, the gold standard, which is what they have been for recruiting and scouting and developing talent and making talent gel and mesh, finding guys that came from the G League. All of that is what Toronto is known for. Right now they are known for their dysfunction. And now that means it has bubbled up to be mainstream news. Quickly, as an aside, does anyone find it weird that C.J. McCollum, who's not just a player, He is the president of the NBA Players Union. Is commenting on this on ESPN? Like, I don't know, like just feeding chum to the aggregators, the bloggers for drama purposes and driving ESPN's ratings at the detriment of other NBA teams as a whole? Like, I feel like Kevin Durant would not like that. I don't feel like the pure hoopers would want to do that. That's kind of the icky thing where it feels like these players are start towing the line between player and, like, media personality. Like, you can't on one hand be CJ, the New Orleans Pelican, hooper, mid-range master, and on the other hand, hot take men, Stephen A. Smith wannabe. I don't like that. I don't like that. But here's what he had to say when he was spilling the tea. I think in terms of what they need or what they're lacking – Something's going to happen. I don't know what. There's rumblings about certain players on the team not being happy and due to tampering. I can't speak to that, but right. I think they're going to they're going to move someone. So let's break this down. The Raptors came to the season, and we all thought that they were on the rise. Scotty Barnes wins Rookie of the Year. He looks to emerge as a real superstar playmaker, can do multiple things on the court. Siakam, we knew he was going to take a step up, and he did take a step up. He's been insane this year. Absolutely incredible. OG Ananobi was supposed to break out. 
he's actually leading the league in deflections right now. So defensively, he's been amazing. And they got out from under Kyle Lowry's contract. They had Fred Van Fleet, who is an all-star. Like, all of this gave us vibes of improvement, right? You've got to bring in another heavy hitter. Okay, okay, it's all good. But no, halfway through the season, despite a team of 6'7 to 6'9 guys with the, with the best steal rate in the league, allowing the fifth least points in the paint, the fourth lowest second ch- chance points in the league, the Raptors are only 15th in the league in defensive rating. So why, folks? They're five games under 500. They are out of the play-in tournament, and I am not sure that they will sneak into the play-in tournament. And now you've got rumblings about various players wanting out. Fred Van Fleet wanted to get paid. Them not wanting to pay him because he is undersized and has somewhat of a ball-dominant attitude. Pascal Siakam is one of the only guys that is untradeable, but does he want to be traded? I've heard that OG Ananobi is unhappy with his role and how he's being used on this team. Who is not unhappy? Scotty Barnes doesn't look happy. You've got Nick Nurse throwing Gary Trent under the bus and saying, listen, if he can't play defense, he's of no use to us. He's yelling at players on the coach. I mean, at the, on the bench. There's just so much going on with this team. Safe to say this is not the way anybody thought it would go. Not the way that anybody would want it to go. Which is why they get a failing grade. They can't get an F because I love Masai Ujiri and I think he's too smart to let this shit happen. Still time for things to turn around. But when you only have two guys on this roster who are untouchable, that's a rut row. That is a massive, massive rut row. Let's move to the Central Division. We'll start with the Milwaukee Bucks. Milwaukee Bucks get a solid C. Not a C plus, not a C minus, but a C. They have the third best record in the East, but I think probably the most disappointing team in the division if the Pistons did not exist. They have almost the entire year, with the exception of seven games, been lacking Chris Middleton. When they did have Chris Middleton for those seven games, he looked like doo-doo. He looked horrible. It's never a good sign. They asked Chris Middleton about his time that he has been missing. And what I found to be very strange is uh, that some people close to Chris Middleton have said that Chris Middleton's knee injuries will continue to persist and continue to be a problem, and they've always been a problem. Who are those people close to Chris Middleton? Chris Middleton! This is what he said. I've always had knee issues since college when I tore my meniscus. That was one of the reasons why my stock in the draft dropped lower because I was coming off of a meniscus injury that a lot of people didn't trust it. It's been great for me so far. What I'm going through now normally happens during the offseason when nobody hears that my knee is swollen. I still work out. Rest doesn't do it any good. It's just building it back slowly. What? So Chris Middleton, you would imagine telling on himself, probably not the best strategy, unless he's like, I don't know, locked down for the next five years. It's like, oh, I'm under team control, guaranteed contracts, bitch. I'm just going to tell you that my knee's swollen 24-7. Wait, let me look and see when his contract ends. What? Next year, 2024, he's a free agent? And he admits to having knee pain and knee swelling since college? 
He's had only played seven games and largely been unproductive. I would say for the Milwaukee Bucks, that is a big red flag. That's about as big red flag for a wing as you could get. The rest of the Bucks not giving me much hope either. Giannis all of a sudden missing games. Not just load management games. This is his fourth straight game that he's missed as of today. He hyperextended his left knee in the Eastern Conference Finals two years back, and now it's the same knee that's giving him problems that he played through when they won the title. I don't know about that. This team feels like a hospital wing to me. Drew Holiday has missed time. Grayson Allen has missed time. Chris Middleton has missed time. Two years ago, Brooke Lopez had back surgery, so that gives me a little bit of pause. My man Serge Ibaka isn't playing basketball. That I had to look him up because he's been so irrelevant. The only thing that I know of Serge Ibaka doing is YouTube videos eating bull penises. He used to be one of the best rim protectors in the league, and now he just makes other NBA players admit things while eating weird foods. So, yeah, I give him a very low grade. In my mind, I've always said if the Milwaukee Bucks were healthy, they were unbeatable. But the question is, is that actually true anymore? Has the window closed? Like, should we be worrying when Giannis and Chris Middleton both aren't healthy and Drew Holiday hasn't been healthy, the core three not fully healthy? I can't tell. Without a rescue line at the trade deadline, the window very much might be closing soon. Indiana Pacers, A-. minus. This is maybe the biggest surprise in the Eastern Conference. Maybe the biggest surprise in the entire NBA. I saw the Sacramento Kings coming. What I did not see coming was the Pacers, and they are fun. Everybody thought that the Pacers were going to be a lottery team. Even the Pacers thought they were going to be a lottery team. The Pacers told the world at Summer League, we're in the sweepstakes for Victor Wambayama. Let me tell you this, they are not. They are not even close to getting Victor Wambayama. They are in eighth place right now. 23 and 21. And they've had injuries too. They're doing all this with guys out of the lineup like Miles Turner, like Tyrese Halliburton. Dorte has missed 22 games. But Tyrese Halliburton is now becoming one of the best playmakers in the league, making that Sabonis trade look beneficial for very much both sides. He's consistently getting double digit assists per game, he's scoring 24, 40, Just massive numbers on a night-to-night basis. And, oh, did I mention Ben Maturin, a.k.a. Ben Matherin, is averaging over 17 a game as a rookie coming off the fucking bench. Can they keep this up? I don't know. I think so. But they're probably going to have to pay Miles Turner now. They're probably going to have to pay Buddy Heald now. Or they're going to trade him for a boatload of assets to some aspiring team like the Milwaukee Bucks that want to win a title and get a lot in return. Key Smith at Spotrack wrote a piece about a month ago about how the Pacers are looking to lock Miles Turner up for an extension, and he said no. So who knows? But they have been largely excellent all year. This is a very fun team, not something I thought I would be saying. Chicago Bulls. <sighs> C minus. Yeah, they are in crisis mode, aren't they? We talked about it recently. We've talked about them all year and not in good terms, right? They are just not very fun. Everybody on the Bulls seems to be ready for a blow-up, right? Like Lonzo Ball just gave an interview today where he said whether he would even play the rest of the season. You've got the Bulls taking out insurance policies in case Lonzo Ball doesn't play basketball ever again, covering the $80 million left on his contract. You got Zach Levine who hates everybody on his team. He's taking mid-range twos with four seconds left to go, down three. 
very much trying to lose that game. Billy Donovan, hated by everybody. DeMar DeRozan, the only bright spot on this team, but he's had injury issues as well. Is there anything to like about this team? Is there anything fun? Well, I guess Alex Caruso is fun. But that's it. They could be beating anyone on any given night, and they could be beaten by anyone on any given night. I don't know what to make of them. I don't know if they're going to be sellers. I don't know if they're going to be buyers. Every time they tank and everybody thinks, okay, it's a blow-it-up scenario, they win five, and then it's like, oh, I don't know. Now the delusional Chicago fan base is getting excited again. They are a C student. They barely show up to class. When they show up to class, they fall asleep, and then all of a sudden on a random Tuesday, they have intelligent questions, uh, and they have thoughts and notes and poignant pieces of knowledge to share that maybe nobody in the class has ever thought about before. But that happens like literally when the blue moon is out. Cleveland Cavaliers. A minus. You have to start talking about the Cavs through the Donovan Mitchell lens. He's incredible. He's the most dramatically different player from last year to this year that I've seen from a superstar just changing teams. He's increased how many threes he takes per game. He's taking sometimes 10 threes a game. He would take three, four, five threes a game in Utah. The way that they play is really beneficial to him. He's bouncier. He's faster. He's quicker. He's just got it. He's just so fun. And this trade looks amazing for the Cavaliers. They just do. He's playing defense now. Clearly something that he did on purpose to Utah to say, you know what, fuck Rudy Gobert. I'm not going to play defense because why? Because you guys have a two-time defensive player of the year. He can handle it. You know what? Let him do it. And and the one thing that's strange, I think, that's holding the Cavs season back is Evan Mobley. Evan Mobley has regressed. Uh, he's not the player that he was when everybody thought he would be the rookie of the year. And I think that's something that's going to take time for him to figure out his role because I think he can be an all-NBA kind of a guy. I think he's got all the tools. I think he's got a great attitude. But they're fifth place, standing a half game out of third. Pretty much expecting where I would think they would finish, right? Right in this slot. Maybe fourth, maybe fifth, maybe third, somewhere in there. You add in Garland, who has missed time with his own eye injury. You now get Ricky Rubio back, though, to counteract that. And then... You know, you've got Mobley and Jared on the front line, and all they need really is a wing, a good, solid wing, to get rid of a Coro's ass and find somebody competent that can play three. If that is the case, if they do that at the deadline, what they really need is Lori Markinen back, they could be very, very dangerous. Detroit Pistons, they get a D plus. That stinks. I like them so much. I wanted to give them a C-. minus. I just couldn't. They... What are they right now, record-wise? It's not great. They're 12 and 35. You can't give somebody a C-plus when they're 12 and 35. But they're fun, right? Like, they're a team that you enjoy watching on a night-to-night basis. They compete and lose. Same kind of thing as they did last year. Same kind of thing as they did two years ago. This year, Cade Cunningham gets hurt. He goes out for the rest of the year. That's a big setback. They weren't gangbusters when he was playing, but I tell you what, you're not going to win many games when the number one overall pick is down for the year with a strange injury. 
right? And now you don't get to develop chemistry with Jaden Ivey, the rookie. You know, Jalen Duran, he's not finding time with Cade. So it's just another wasted year of a rebuild, and you wonder, does Sadiq Bey now get moved? What do we do with Bogdanovich? Did they really want Bogdanovich to begin with? Or is he just an asset that they locked up long-term to be a valuable trade piece in the future? So this team is probably headed for another high lottery pick. They will consistently be athletic. They will consistently be fun. They will play hard for Dwayne Casey, and they will be extremely watchable. But they will not win games, and unfortunately, the offseason has been a bit of a wash. Let's move to the Southeast Division, which is probably the worst division in the East. So, the Hawks are a D+. There's a lot more drama to unfold for them to get an F, and I think it will happen. I can't give them an F right now because the season's not over, right? You can't really give an F at the halfway point because what if things turn around? Make no bones about it, though. This team's in, in trouble. The GM got fired along with everybody else that he hired in the front office. The owner turned the team over to his 27-year-old son who has no management experience. He probably didn't even manage a McDonald's, let alone a fucking team. So he's running things now. Came out of nowhere from the clouds. Had anybody heard of him before this year? No. I don't understand why people aren't more angry about this. Right? Like, nobody's talking about it. I don't see it on NBA Today. I don't see it on First Take. You know why? Because Atlanta is largely irrelevant as a team. The dumpster fire just keeps on burning. And like a bad neighborhood, you just walk past it like it's fucking normal. But you know what? It's not normal. And I'm not going to normalize it. The coach wants to resign. The star players don't like each other. The, I mean, all of it. Trey Young probably wants to be moved. Trey Young wants Nick McMillan to be fired after they fired another coach like two years back. And you know what? They stink. They stink on the court. They are not a watchable product. They are 21 and 22, and they play ugly-ass basketball. Just a bunch of dribble handoff, you know, screen situations, 30-feet jumpers, four seconds into the shot clock, give a lob only because the floater isn't working at the moment. Trey Young with the bad attitude. Is his shoulder working? Is it not working? Is he coming to the game? Is he coming to practice? Nobody knows. People ask. He gets an attitude. All of it's weird. Nobody wants to acknowledge it's weird. And the only thing that is good about them right now is Kyle Korver. And Kyle Korver hasn't played for the Hawks in like 15 years. Is Kyle Korver any good? In terms of being him being a new assistant GM, which people probably don't even know. I don't know. I just give him the benefit of the doubt because he has a nice smile and he seems like a nice guy. The whole front office are playing yes men to a guy five years out of college. Five years. Does this kid know anything about hoops? Did he play college hoops? Did he play in the NBA? Did he play high school hoops? Can he fucking make a layup with his off hand? What can he do? Does he have a mind for basketball? Or he's just a kid with a silver spoon in his mouth? I mean, this is everything that's wrong with America. The Atlanta Hawks are everything that's wrong with America. A guy coming out of the clouds, just taking something that... He's just like part of the Lucky Sperm Club. 
And all of a sudden, he has real power over a club where there's only 30 clubs. Fuck the Atlanta Hawks. They are D-plus staring right at an F. Charlotte Hornets, I lied. I lied. They get an F. They do. I wasn't going to give out midterm Fs. But, I mean, here we are. Why? Why do the Charlotte Hornets get an F? Because they wanted to bring back a guy who beat the shit out of his girlfriend and his kid, allegedly. And they just pretended that they were never going to do that. They were never going to bring him back and try to extend him because, I don't know, they thought that they could gaslight us and that we would agree or believe them. Michael Jordan wants to bring Miles Bridges back because they're in shambles, basketball-wise. And it's like, oh, yeah, no, we were never going to do that. That was just something that we floated out to Wojnowski just to check the temp. And it's like, the temp is cold. The temp is ice cold, okay? This is a trash division. This is a trash-ass franchise. The only bright spot in this division right now is the Orlando Magic. Think about that. Think about that. The Orlando Magic that's been in the dumps for like 30 years, maybe not that long, since Dwight Howard was there and Jameer Nelson. That's the team that I'm most excited about in the Southeast. Might have to break out the dreaded F for a bunch of teams in this division. Moving forward to the Miami Heat, they get a C minus, maybe fringe D plus as well. They're old, they're frustrated, they're looking for a change. No team has their fingers in more trade opportunities and scenarios than Miami. They need to make a move. Who's going to go? I don't know. It's not going to be there goes my Tyler Hero. We know that because he's like the son of Pat Riley. Outside of him, I think everyone's on the table. Spolster's a great coach. Pat Riley's a great GM. Again, this is like one of those scenarios like the Toronto Raptors where you're like, okay, I kind of got to give them the benefit of the doubt. They went to the Eastern Conference Finals. They were a three-point shot away from Jimmy Butler from going to the finals. They went to the finals two years back in the bubble. But, man, does it look bad right now. When you got to get meaningful minutes from Victor Oladipo and Gabe Vincent, no shade to Gabe Vincent, like you need big minutes from Omar Yurseven and Max Struess has to put up 15 threes a game, it's brutal. Jimmy Butler's not it in terms of what you need from a player to carry a franchise, and I like Jimmy Butler. Bam is also rumored to be unhappy. Lowry is Lowry, but a worse version of himself and probably going to get traded. I mean, a player literally threw a massage gun in the middle of the court just the other day. So what are we doing? Can they get better? Probably because it's Pat Riley. They have an injured Duncan Robinson as an asset. They've got, obviously, Bam Adebayo, who could possibly go. Kyle Lowry, who could possibly go. Maybe Max Struess, but... I don't think they're going to find any value from the undrafted free agent pool like they do so often. So Nikola Jovic isn't going to save you. Some random guy is not going to save you. They're going to need to make a move to be anything positive. Orlando Magic. I just, I'm just so intrigued. B plus for the Orlando Magic. I was not expecting this. They, they may even be a fringe A minus. The Orlando Magic are the most fun team to watch in this division. They are breaking all expectations. They have one of the greatest rookies in recent memory, Paolo Bancaro, who
who they knocked out of the park. He looks like he could be the next LeBron James type if he could get his handle up. He's big. He's strong. He's a willing passer. He can shoot. He can rebound. He's getting 22 points a game as a rookie, which is absolutely bananas. Franz Wagner is a beast. He's a wing who can handle the rock like a point guard who's 6'10". Bull Bull is what, you know, we want Victor Wembanyama to be in, in terms of his floor. They've had multiple injuries and somehow continue to win games. They're not like a great team record-wise, but they have beaten really good teams like the Boston Celtics twice. Markel Fultz is emerging. Cole Anthony's okay. You've got a ton of assets that you can trade. We haven't seen a peak from Jonathan Isaac yet. Mo Bamba still needs to get better and develop. They have a Wendell Carter has been really good. They have a lot of dudes. A lot of dudes. Even though they're 16 and 28, they're only four games out of the play-in. Nobody, I tell you, if they were to sneak into the 10 seed, nobody wants to see Wendell Carter, Bull Bull, Paolo, Franz Wagner, and Fultz in a one-and-done situation. Nobody. Nobody. So for me, it's a B plus, and I think this team can get even better at the deadline, especially considering they have multiple guys who get limited minutes who would be really good on other teams that can succeed and try to win now. Washington Wizards, oh, God. They get a D. They do. As a resident of the DMV, they are gross. I have to say it as an unbiased fan. They're no fun. They're no fun to watch. 18 and 25, staring at the outside, looking in. Probably going to fire their GM, Tommy Shepard, which, considering the rumors I've heard about Tommy Shepard, which I will not name, probably is a year too late. Uh, Brad Beal is locked down till the end of oblivion with a no-trade clause, making $50 million a year, and uh, haven't played much games this year. When he does play, he's chucking and missing in fourth quarters that you are out of. What's going to happen with Kyle Kuzma? We already know. He probably wants to leave. You're going to have to trade him or give him considerable amounts of money that is way over what he is valued at. Porzingis is okay. You've got Monty Morris as your primary ball handler. That's bad. The guy that you took, Johnny Davis, he's not developing. The one bright spot is probably Denny Abdia. He had 20 rebounds the other night. 20. So maybe he's like your wing of the future. Tough team to root for. Tough team to watch. They play ugly-ass basketball. They lose all the time. But you know what? They are covering machines. So if you're an NBA better and they're at home, that is where stars come to load manage. So keep that in mind. That's all the time that we have for the Heat Check. We'll be back Friday with an all-new episode. Check out the feed for past episodes. We'll do the Western Conference midterm grades uh, on then, as well as some, some social clips in terms of what's popping around the NBA. We'll make sure to get you caught up to speed on that. Do not forget to download. Please subscribe. Please tell your friends. Follow us on social at This Heat Check and Trista Crick on TikTok, and we'll see you next time.